Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name's Tom Rablick. I'm the host of this particular podcast series. Thank you for joining me. The pandemic that we're going through at the moment, um, dealing with coronavirus and uh, related issues, has given some people interesting things to do with isolation. We haven't been able to move around, but people have been able to sit back and think. One of those is Professor Sinclair Davidson from the uh, from RMIT University. Uh, Sinclair is an economics professor and has dealt with a range of issues in his time in the area of economic reform. He and four other authors have been rather enterprising. They've decided to use lockdown time to write a book that is called Unfreeze and looking at a series of economic um, issues and ways in which the economy can be thawed out, as it were, um, as a result after the pandemic and what reform can take place. Sinclair, thank you for joining me for this podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Hello. Uh, absolutely. Uh, a pleasure. Pleasure is all mine, as they say in the classics. Um, why write a book like this uh, while you're in isolation? Um, isn't Netflix a better option? Uh, yes, I, I have to say I've, I've been watching a lot of Netflix, a lot of shows I wouldn't otherwise have watched. Um, but in actual fact, uh, um, as, as, as economists, as employees of, of Australian universities, uh, we actually have an obligation just beyond just sort of sitting at home, waiting it out. And uh, one of the things that was worrying us as a group was the implicit assumption that somehow you can switch the economy on and off like a machine or that you can put the economy into the freezer and just wait for it to the, the, the medical crisis to pass and then simply reheat the economy and we would more or less be back where we were. So the, the notion that you can pause the economy and start it again is something that was troubling us because we didn't think of the economy in those terms. We thought of the economy as plans, ideas, webs of relationships, interactions. And a lot of those plans and ideas and webs of relationships and interactions are actually going to be completely disrupted. So when we come back from, from our, our long holiday, if you want to think of it in those terms, it's not going to be like we've all just had a long weekend off or it's been the, the week between Christmas and New Year where we know everything's more or less shut down, but don't worry, it'll all be there when we get back. We were actually worried that it, it's the economy is not really going to be there when we get back. So we thought, well, okay, first of all, we've, we've got to get that message out. And then B, given our diagnosis that the economy is going to be a lot smaller uh, when we return to work, whenever that may be, um, what would we do next? What, what can we say to government and policymakers to actually ameliorate the, the economic damage that has been occurred as a result of the COVID pandemic? And so we, we sat down and over a period of less than a month, uh, we hammered out a book and we found an American publisher and we got it published and it's available. Um, I would love to say at all good bookshops, but in actual fact, it's available on Amazon um, as a Kindle in Australia. Um, and, uh, and hopefully uh, when we can all get back to work and um, everything is opened up, it will be available at all good bookshops too. Okay, so the primary primary method of publication has been electronic. The, yes, um, and, there and is, I've noticed, yeah, 
so I was going to say that there is a hard copy, but only available in America at the moment. Okay, so there are various logistical issues in getting a hard copy out here, but Amazon um, Kindle is where you get it in Australia. We'll, we'll repeat that at the end. What is the main underlying hypothesis of what you've said? Because uh, I noticed in, in having a look at the preview available on Amazon that you... you you go with the sort of conventional wisdom about this thing. There is a health crisis and there is an economic crisis. Um, so how do, you, how do you come up with that distinction? Because I'm, I struggle with that. Because when you, have an, when you have a health crisis, you have some kind of economic crisis that accompanies it anyway. Yes, so our, our, our argument is that we want to very clearly differentiate two things. One, there is this new virus that's appeared that in early March everybody thought was highly contagious, highly fatal. Uh, it was sweeping the world. People didn't know quite how to respond to it. There's no vaccine. There's no cure. And and policymakers were worried that if all these people start appearing in the hospital system, that they would overwhelm the hospital system and that not only would people be dying from, from COVID itself, they would be dying from all sorts of other things as well because the hospital system itself was over well, was overrun. Now, yes, there's going to be some economic cost associated with that, um, but in actual fact, there was a separate decision made, and, and countries around the world mostly did this. There, there was a separate decision made to put the economies into lockdown, to say to people, go home and stay home, um, or shelter in place, or however you want to describe it. But the go home and stay home and actually stop people from going to work is actually a separate decision. Now, you know, people are going to argue, was it justified? Wasn't it justified? Should we, could we, could we have done something different? Um, and and I've got, no, we, we will debate that for years to come. Right now, we have the problem is a decision was made. And we now have to say, okay, given where we are now, what can we do next? And what, what we need to do next is actually ensure that when we can all go back to work, now, you've got to differentiate when we can go back to work is a legal decision, but in actual fact, when we can go back to work, that there is work to go back to, that there is an economy to go back to. And that's that's where our story picks up. So we don't get into debates of second-guessing decisions that were made in March. Um, there'll be plenty of time for that over the next 10 years. Uh, what we are saying is, okay, if you're a decision-maker in Australia or anywhere else in the world today, what should you be thinking about getting the economy working again tomorrow? Okay, well, I mean, there are a couple of things there that you've highlighted. One is the lockdown strategy that was imposed by countries around the world was effectively risk mitigation. How do we how do we minimise the risk of um, our health system buckling under pressure? But the allied issue which you're talking about is will there be will there be work what sort of work what innovation needs to take place and how do we move on to uh improving upon what we had prior to shutdown which yes. i gather is where much of the thinking 
in the book heads towards. Yes. What are some of the idea? What are some of the ideas, Sinclair, that you've played with um, so, in the book? So, if, if if you have a look at what governments did when they when they shut down the economy, they realised, or many governments realised, of course, um, that this wasn't uh, it wasn't wise to just say to people, "Look, you've got to stay at home." So they did a number of things. One, um, in Australia, for example, we got the, 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 the JobKeeper payment, which is going to phase out in September. But the other thing which state governments did and, and, and some uh, federal government did as well is that they relaxed a whole lot of regulations and they also relaxed a whole lot of taxes. So, for example, in Victoria, where I am, a payroll tax has been temporarily uh, shelved um, simply as to not to pose an additional burden on businesses. Now, one of the things that we have said in our book is that if regulations or, tax, or, or taxes were temporarily suspended during the duration of the crisis, we've actually got to think about not reintroducing them after the crisis. Because there's actually two phases of it. The one is the lockdown phase, and then two is the recovery phase. And so um, there needs to be a great deal of deregulation and a great deal of thinking about our tax system in order to ensure that our economy can move forward. Because um, Adam Smith very famously said that the division of labor is an extent of the size of the market. The economy is a lot smaller today where are we in May, than it was in early March. And the economy will be smaller still in June, July, August, September than it is today. But our taxation system, our regulatory system, our innovation system are all predicated on the economy being a lot larger than what it is today and growing. Whereas we, right, we know right now our economy is small and shrinking. So we've actually got to, moving forward, got to have a, 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 the, the institutional economic infrastructure, which is our rules and regulations and taxes and all those things. We've got to have those things fit for purpose because we don't know how the economy is going to recover because we don't know which parts of the economy have died off, which are still working, which parts of the economy need a lot of extra um, effort. So we've got this massive information problem that will only be resolved as the economy unfreezes. And so what we need to do is have a government that is flexible enough not to intervene too much when the economy actually unfreezes. So to give a very simple example, uh, the government has been saying to banks, lend money to corporations and to small businesses to pay their JobKeeper's payments until we can come in. So a lot of companies have taken on high levels of debt a lot of these companies may actually fail as soon as the economy unfreezes. So we don't want to have government regulators giving the banks a hard time in a year's time saying, gee, why have you got all this bad debt on your books? Um, you know, so we, we need to have a far more open mind, a far more flexibility than we've had in the past as we unfreeze the economy to make sure that we don't actually kill off any green roots, uh, sorry, any green shoots uh, that, that, that emerge after the unfreeze. So what are the types of sectors or what are the types of areas that you, you think are going to benefit from some change and some innovation? It's one of the things I've, uh, I noticed early in the crisis, Sinclair, is there were people who didn't like the idea of having to, having to stay at home. They looked at the apps that, were, uh, that some restaurants and stores use they were horrified that the restaurant that they would normally eat out at had to pay 
a an intermediary. Yes. A reasonable, reasonably high amount from you know, the actual the actual cost of the meal, if you like, mm. in order to, um, in order for person A who would normally eat in that restaurant to be able to get that same meal Outside. delivered to them. Yes. Now, uh, do you see it as being possible, as being conceivable, that um, some of the businesses? that have used those apps in the past may decide to unsubscribe from those services and then offer, offer delivery themselves? Um, I, I think we've seen um, a lot of, in, of, of business innovation around delivery systems. So a lot more competition turned up in terms of delivering things from restaurants to, uh, um, to home or uh, d- delivering things from stores to home. Um, so we saw lots of innovation there. Whether or not we continue to see that innovation, I, I, I'm not sure. Because one of the things you've got to think about is, um, I think when the quarantine gets lifted, we're all going to rush out and party. But have we all become more used to staying at home? Uh, that may well be the case. So we may actually see permanent changes in, in behavior um, going forward. And, and in one area where you will see it is, you will have noticed in the last few days, there have been a lot of stories in the media about office space. Um, will we actually really need as much office space in future as we have in the past? Um, and, of course, there's two arguments here, because the one argument is that certainly hot desking is now going to be out. Um, but on the other hand, uh, will you will more people be working from home anyway? Um, as it turns out, my five colleagues and I who, who, who wrote the book, uh, we haven't seen each other since early March. So we actually wrote this book with a combination of... Well, on on the one hand, um, it's good because you can actually cooperate together um, long distance or or, or remotely. On the other hand, it is bad because humans are, after all, social beings. And a lot of our economy is actually predicated on us going out and meeting other people. Uh, You know, we, we are... You know, you, you go to the shops, you go to work, you 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 go and do economic things together. Um, but nonetheless, uh, we now know that there there is a fair chunk. Now, I mean, let's not overreact. There, there was a study done at the University of Chicago that says that only about thirty-seven percent of all jobs can be done remotely. But of those 37% of jobs that can be done remotely, a lot of them are now hiring a lot of office space in CBDs. And if you can get away with even less office space than you had before, that will actually have a big impact on the commercial property market, for example. It'll have a big impact on the office furnishing markets, for example. It'll have a big impact on the computer communications market you know so um the 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 question to my mind is how much of the change in behavior that's happened during these last two months or so that may happen for another few months i I don't know how long it'll last for but how much of this is actually going to create a permanent change in behavior or will we all just basically snap back and go back to our old ways um i think there's going to be less of a snapback certainly i don't believe the economy can snap back i think we're in for a long period of of recovery a long period of catch-up which is why i think that we need to have 
uh, less government regulation, less taxation, even though we've got uh, an eye-watering amount of, of public debt, uh, we're going to have to pay that off over time. We simply cannot afford to burden a much smaller economy with the cost of, of, of the COVID pandemic. Okay, you're, uh, you and I have spoken over the, well, over more than two decades at various points about tax reform. What are the most significant tax reform measures that the book highlights? Um, I think right now it would be uh, doing away with payroll tax. Uh, payroll tax is a tax on jobs. Um, for years and years and years, many economists and governments have kind of denied that it was a tax on jobs because they really needed the money. But if you have a look at one of the first things governments did when they when they realized that they needed to save jobs is that they either cut or temporarily abolish payroll tax. So I think payroll tax right now uh, um, is certainly should be on the chopping block. Um, and certainly increases in taxation uh, should be avoided right now because we know increases in uh, we we know taxation is a burden on the economy, which of course is is sort of counterintuitive because everybody's thinking, gee, you know, we've just borrowed all this money, we've got to pay it back. Uh, we're going to have to pay it back slowly. So um, I, I certainly would not be uh, I'd, I'd certainly be pushing the idea that we we do not reintroduce payroll tax. Um, where we do not increase uh, uh, um, income taxes. Um, there's a proposal out at the moment that, again, the, you know, the old chestnut, we should do something about the GST. Um, I wouldn't be doing anything about the GST. I would be saying to, to the state and federal government right now, um, stay away from taxation. If anything, uh, think of ways of reducing taxation, uh, because in the very first instance, we've got to get we've got to get people back to work, and that means anything that inhibits employment is bad, and anything which inhibits investment in Australia right now is bad. So, if we want to pay off all this public debt, and we also want to restore household balance sheets and household income statements, we actually have to have a period of five to ten years of above average levels of growth. Now, if, if you think back, Tom, we haven't had above average levels of growth since the GFC. So we've already had 10 years of very average to middling growth. Um, well, now we have to supercharge ourselves to get ourselves out of the, the COVID debt and also the COVID loss in economic wealth because we don't just want to recover. We want to be as prosperous as we were just two months ago. And, and certainly that's what we're saying in our book. If we want to do well, we have to have high levels of economic growth, which means low regulation, low taxation, um, in, in order to, to restore our prosperity. Now, you made an interesting point earlier, uh, Sinclair, which is um, uh, to do, encourage the government to not look at increases in taxation wherever possible. Or at all? Yes. Now there is a cohort. There is a cohort in our society that says there are a bunch of people who run big companies, both here and overseas. Some companies happen to have headquarters, have uh, offices and large networks here. They are guilty of not paying as much tax as a particular cohort in our society believes they ought to. Yeah. Um, what do you say to those people right now that will be hammering away on Twitter and on Facebook that big companies don't pay enough tax and, and that is one way of us clawing ourselves back out of this economy that is going to hope, hopefully start thawing out in the next little while? 
Um, to those sorts of people, I, I would just say you've got to ask yourself the question, what do you think is most important? Uh, redistributing an orig- uh, uh, um, a pie that's actually a lot smaller than what it was or actually growing the pie? And I, I actually think right now is actually creating new value is more important than redistributing old value. And so what is important is getting people back into productive work, getting um, productive investment going and growing their pie. Because bearing in mind, if we are poor today, our children are going to be poor tomorrow. Um, and poverty is not something that is, is desirable. Um, Australia has worked very hard. We've come a long, long way um, over over the last, what, three, four decades, and we don't want to squander what we have gained over that particular time. We want to have our wealth and prosperity back. Oh, but Sinclair, there's a report that comes out every every year from the ATO, the Tax Transparency Report. It says there are people who pay zero tax. This is an outrage, says the cohort out there <laughs> online. Um, well, the first thing is bearing in mind the ATO only produced that particular report because they're required to by an act of parliament. Um, because if you have a look at what the ATO tends to argue and you have a look at their websites and what have you, what you very quickly find out is that companies that pay no tax in Australia um, are either operating or a loss or they've got a tax carry forward um, and they're not liable for Australian taxation. Um, unfortunately, the, the, the company tax debate in Australia is, is horribly distorted by the fact that people don't understand how company tax works. Company tax is a, is a tax on profit, not a tax on revenue. And so very often you, you, you'll, have the, you'll have these arguments, company X has got a billion dollars of turnover and pays no tax. Um, that's because they've probably got a billion dollars of expenses as well. And so there, there's, there's a lot of, of ignorance around company tax, which, uh, well, you and I both over the last few years have, have sort of tried to push against and argue against and what have you. Unfortunately, as, as exciting as, as, as you and I find taxation, and I hope many of our listeners find taxation, um, the general community don't find taxation, certainly not company taxation, to be very interesting. And so it is very easy for, for, for people to make these mischievous arguments. Um, the 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 tax the company tax debate in Australia has frustrated me for years and years and years because um, even though you know, whatever you may say or dislike about the ATO, they are competent. They are good at their jobs. Um, and if a company was liable for tax in Australia, I have no doubt in my mind whatsoever they would collect that tax. So the tax transparency report um, is a very valuable report. If you are knowledgeable about how the company tax system works, if you are not knowledgeable about how the company tax system works, it becomes a very misleading, very confusing document. And unfortunately, some mischievous people are able to capitalize on that on, on that confusion. Well, the, it doesn't feed the conspiracy, it's sort of a conspiracy theory that big companies just pay no, big companies get away with blue murder because they don't pay any tax. They don't pay the required amount of tax, and um, you know, the government needs to crack down on on those guys. Um, that is very much a conspiracy theory. And look, I'm I'm a big fan of conspiracy theories myself. But I, I have to say, 
the, the, the notion that, that big business doesn't pay tax is just absolutely wrong. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's, yes, uh, I, I, I wish it was true. But um, the, the, the fact of the matter is uh, this whole notion that we're going to crack down on big business and get more tax revenue is, is just simply not true. Um, unfortunately, if governments want to get more tax revenue, they're going to actually have to increase the size of the tax base, which means more value add, more creativity, more investment, more jobs. Actually, hard, solid policy work is going to grow the economy, which will generate tax revenue, as opposed to, well, you know, we'll just crack the whip and all of a sudden there'll be these rivers of gold. If only that was true, it would be awesome. But unfortunately, it's just simply not true. The other thing that people tend to forget, and it came up in the came up in the discussion of the Ruby Princess, just to come back to something that's pandemic related, is the uh, is the fact that there are companies like the parent company that runs the Princess lines that are dual listed companies. They've got uh, listing in the UK and the US. Um, they they are also a company that has a uh, takes advantage of the double tax agreement because they they pay tax in the UK. Yes. And as a result, they don't pay tax in Australia. And I think that's poorly understood by people. So it automatically looks like something that, you know, one, there's a big ship that's brought a lot of coronavirus cases uh, to Australian shores. Oh, and by the way, they don't pay tax here. Yes. Um, yes. But well, they uh, pay tax somewhere else. So it's, it's not as if it's a crime for them not to have paid tax in Australia because there's an agreement between the UK and uh, Australia that that is something that is able to be done. Yes. Um, uh, I, I actually wish people would talk more about the international tax treaties um, because generally speaking, the, the, the notion is that revenue should only be taxed once. And what has happened is all the governments of the world have got together and assigned agreements as to how tax bases are allocated. Um, and so what you'll very often find is if a, a foreign company will be paying tax in a foreign jurisdiction and won't be paying tax here, but you will have an Australian company paying tax here and not paying tax in that foreign, in, in that foreign uh, jurisdiction. So in actual fact, the countries of the world have designed the global tax system and then people say, oh, but companies are taking advantage of the rules of the game. Well, of course they are in exactly the same way that you and I stop at the red light when we're driving or we keep to the left-hand side of the road or, you know, we, we, we obey the road rules. So very many often uh, these, these international companies are obeying the tax rules. These are the rules which the government themselves have made. Um, so it's, 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 it, it, it is very strange where you kind of have people simultaneously arguing that companies aren't paying more tax and also oh, that they, they're, they're not paying the tax that they're legally liable to be paid. And yet the governments do nothing about it and the, and the tax authorities do nothing about it and the, the legal authorities do nothing about it. Um, as I've always kind of thought, well, if you are a random on Twitter banging on about tax avoidance, you can be sure that the government would knows and they would have looked at it and they would have thought about it. There are people whose full-time job it is to collect tax revenue, and they are good at their jobs. Um, I, I once had an argument with, with, with a journalist, and I kept on saying to him, but you, you, you're telling me you know something that the tax office doesn't know. 
and then I got all these strange conspiracy theories, you know, and you think, well, well hang on, you know, it's, it's, well, say, I'm, you, I'm a lover of conspiracy theory myself, but <laughs> this is, it's just not true, this one. Well, we, we won't, we won't go into Area 51 today, Sinclair, unfortunately. <laughs> or the, the faked moon landings. <laughs> And that all, all that kind of stuff, it amuses me as well, um, as well as the number of causes of the coronavirus uh, that people are seemingly coming up with on the left wing, right wing, anarchists and everything else. It's fascinating to observe. It's a good point at which to conclude our podcast, Sinclair, and appreciate the fact that you've uh, taken the time to join me today. Thank now, you so much. Where can people get your? where can people get the book? Well, the book is called Unfreeze, How to Create a High-Growth Economy After the Pandemic, and it's available on the American, Australian, and UK Amazon um, sites, and it's available in uh, Kindle in Australia. Uh, unfortunately, it's only available on the American uh, um, site in hardcover and at the moment they are not posting to australia because of the pandemic itself so if you if you read kindle versions you can buy it at any one of the amazon sites wherever you remember and it's available Sinclair, in australia for seven dollars i've noticed surprise go to go to amazon kindle if you want to have a look at the book that sinclair and the, the as a part of a team of five is authored on getting the australian economy out of the pandemic uh, freeze or paralysis or whatever term you want to use. Sinclair, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. We should do this again. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> thank you for listening and um, stay safe, look after each other, and I'll be back with another podcast very, very soon.